Matthew chapter 1. Just Matthew chapter 1. Talking about the final week of Jesus. And I know that Matthew chapter 1 is far from the final week of Jesus. But uh, there's some, uh, some things we want to look at today. As we turn there, we'll go to the Lord. As we turn there, we'll turn to Him. Father God, we love You. Thank You for Your amazing grace. Thank You for the atonement, the ransom. We thank You for Your love and the great love that You share and that You show us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. For there is no other name by which men can be saved. That is Jesus Christ. That is the only way. Uh, Lord, He's proved that time and time again. The only way to the Father is through the Son. Lord, is there any other way? And you told him flat, no, there is uh, no other way. So, Lord, we trust the way, the truth, and the life. We honor you today in our praise and in our, in our preaching. Lord, we honor you in all that we do, and more importantly, in our witness and in our life as we go forth. So, Lord, I pray that this is a life-changing event, a life-changing uh, message, Lord. It's not the sermon, Lord, that matters. It's the message, Lord. Open our ears and our hearts that we hear a word through your Holy Spirit today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Fall fresh and fall new. Uh, fall on us fully today. Empower us, equip us, anoint us, and appoint us to go and to do the things which you've called us to do. Uh, Lord, there's no one like you. Nobody can do the things that you do. Nothing can be said without you saying. Take no thought as I go forth and I go out and as I go to comfort and minister. But the things that you say, Lord, those are the things that matter. It's not what I say that matters. It's what you say that matters, Lord. And we honor that today, Lord. We welcome your presence into this service today, Lord. As you speak to our hearts, Lord, I pray again, Lord, equip us and empower us to do the work of ministry that we may know that good acceptable and that perfect will of God for our life Lord and we ask this in Jesus holy and precious name and that is the name of Jesus amen we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 1 today and we're going to talk about this uh, upcoming April this uh, resurrection season is the final week of Jesus and there are, are some significant points in his life there are some significant things that Jesus did in his life uh, but there, there are some key points in his life too that we can't miss that we can't get away from the stage is set uh, the time has now come he's uh, on his final week uh, Jesus is there at Lazarus tomb. he raises him from the dead he's eating with Simon uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus he's eating there in the distance you can hear the blacksmith uh, beating the metal you can uh, you hear the Roman guards going through in and out of uh, Jerusalem uh, you can see them stacking the beams up there's donkeys tied at the crossroads of life in, in every direction and Jesus is sitting down having a meal he's with his 12 he's with his his group his circle and the stage though is set everything is right it's like the weather now uh, the, the weather is perfect for the pollen it's just like that it's just like it is right here Everything is just set in place. Everything is set in motion. And we're going to talk about that today as we talk about the path of life. We talked last week about uh, life's waiting room. This week it's going to, we're going to talk about uh, life's path. And you know what? At this particular time in Jerusalem, it is a crazy place. Everybody's coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. Everybody, it's crowded. Roman officials are getting nervous because there's so many Jews the chief priests and the scribes are getting anxious uh, uh, because of the happenings that are about to take place. Families are scrambling around to get their lamb, to get in order, to get 
themselves in position uh, to honor and to celebrate the Passover. And Jesus sits idly outside of Jerusalem and he's waiting. But don't think that he's waiting uh, uh, flippantly. He's waiting on purpose. The Bible says that he set his path to go. He set his faith face as flint to go to Jerusalem. The disciples tried to talk him out of it. He said, I must go. You can see a little bit of a change in the way that he's doing things. Used to, he would have said, who touched me? Uh, come, stretch forth your hand. He would have spit on the ground and wiped the eyes. But not this week. This week is different. This week is special. He knows what they don't know. He knows that he has to do these things this week because this is the crux of the whole thing. This is the path of the whole thing. This is his reason for stepping out of glory and stepping into humanity. Amen. He knows that something is about to go down this week. They say, be it far from you, Lord. You don't have to do these things. You don't have to go. You don't have to suffer. He says, get behind me. You don't know what manner of person you are. I've got to do uh, this thing. And everybody's getting a little nervous. The religious leaders are nervous. Jesus is nervous. The disciples is nervous, and he takes his position, and he steps up in the path that was set in motion long before this day ever happened. Way before the spikes were being beat into place by the blacksmith. Way before the cross was being hewn out uh, with the hand plant. Way before the hole was being dug that would place uh, the, the crux of the cross in. Way before that. Way before the wedding. Way before... Bethlehem, this thing was set in motion. Before Lazarus, before the healing, any of this, the final journey was set in motion way before Adam even took his first breath. Before the foundation of the world, this path was chosen. It was designated. It was happening. And he knew, he knew he would walk this path. And you know what? He knew what many of us know that we will walk a path, but he knew something many of us don't want to realize or won't want to admit he would have to walk this alone. There comes a place in time in your life when you have to do some things on your own. Some things are on your own. Oh, he gives us people and he gives us prayer and he gives us his word, but there's some, there's some really rubber meet the road moments in our life. There's some of those. And, uh, and, and everybody knows this is about to happen. He knew it. He knew he would walk this. He's, he, all of a sudden, a, 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 a God that is sitting on a throne stands up and begins to walk around the throne room. Angels are aghast. They don't know what's going on. The Father looks at him. He's God. He don't get off the throne. He stands up for nobody. The enemy, matter of fact, we're his footstool. He's seated high and mighty in heavenly places in a throne where nobody can take him off his throne. Nobody can remove him from his throne. And all of a sudden, he stands up. He gets up. He walks around the throne. He's not running to and fro like the enemy. He's pacing the floor. He looks at the Father. The Father says, it's time. And the Son steps out of glory, and he steps out of divinity, and he steps into humanity, into the womb called Mary. And he's brought to this earth. In Philippians it says that he didn't find it robbery to be equal with God, but he always knew he was God. And he stepped into Mary's room, a womb. He stepped in there, and he doesn't say anything. 
He doesn't say anything. And as we look at this final week, there are three key places that define him. And there's three key places that will define you as well. And we're going to look at those three places today uh, in this one message of the path. Uh, the three that uh, the womb, the wilderness, and the garden. The womb, the wilderness, and the garden. And this path began in the womb. It began in the womb. Christ steps out into eternity and he steps into time. He steps out from divinity and steps into humanity. He goes from walking streets of gold to walking streets of mud. He gets to, uh, he, and, he, and he is God becoming man. And you know what? He is man becoming God. He is no less God and he's no less man. He's the God man, the theophany. The he is the God man and he wraps himself in flesh. And in Matthew 1, it says, uh, 1 1 says, This is the book of generations from Jesus Christ, and we're not going to go through them, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he found himself conceived in Mary's womb, and she gives birth. Verse 18 of that same chapter says, And now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when his mother Mary uh, was espoused to Joseph. Uh, before they came together, she was found with child by the Holy Ghost. She gives birth. Emmanuel, God with us. His name shall be called Jesus, the highest. God's salvation. Christ, the anointed one. That's who he is. And looking over this lineage of Matthew chapter 1, there is some shady characters in there. There are some good characters in there. There are some people we don't know anything about. There are some people we know everything about. Uh, there's some uh, shady women in there. There's some murderers in there. There's some kings in there. There's some paupers in there. Uh, there's uh, gestures in there. There's all kinds of people in there uh, in, in his thing. And we, and we do know that he came through Mary. Mary, blessed are you, highly favored, handpicked to carry this child, and he came to his own. And you know what? There was no other womb that could carry him. There was no other womb uh, that could carry Jesus but Mary's. Mary was the womb. She was the way it was supposed to be. Mary's womb was the path that he would take to get into this world. There was no other way. And he wrapped himself in her, and she gave uh, birth to a child. They said it would happen. She took him to the temple. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they didn't. Simeon and Anna said it would happen. The angels said it would happen. And God said it would happen. And you know what? No other womb could produce that type of man. There was no other womb that could produce. And he grew and he built and he taught. And the Bible said he grew and he waxed strong and he became filled with the Spirit until one day in Matthew 3 uh, or in John, you can see it too. John says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he baptized Jesus. And when Jesus come up, the voice came down from heaven and said, Behold my son in whom I am well pleased. Validation. Let a thing be established out of the mouth of two. Behold the son of God. Behold the son of God. Barely, barely. Truly, truly. Jesus said these things because out of the mouth of two a thing is established. Barely, barely. How can two walk together unless they agree? That's scripture. So scripture had to say by the mouth of two witnesses it had to be established John says it, God says it. God, John says it, God says it. And from that day forward, everything changed. Now remember, no other womb could produce that. No other validation could validate it. No other one. And Jesus is 
uh, validated. And the same holds true for you. And the same holds true for you. Do you know that before your first breath, he handpicked who would deliver you? That he handpicked who your mother and your father would be? He handpicked your Matthew 1 through 18 because he's seen something in a genealogy that you've never seen before that he wanted a little bit of this one, a little bit of that one, and never none of that one, but a little bit of that one. And he wanted to bring down all these generations to make the perfect you. And that was the way he wanted it. That was the path he chose for you. And no other womb could produce you. I don't care if you liked your mother or not. I don't care if you agreed with your father or not. I don't care if you agreed with the path or not. No other womb could produce you because before you were born, he knew you. He fearfully and wonderfully made you. And the problem is, is we come out and we don't like who we was. We don't like who we are. We don't like who people say we are. We try to reassign our identity. We try to change our name. We try to dwell in our past. We try to forget our pain and we try to forget our struggles. And in all this, the enemy laughs because we forget he fearfully and wonderfully made me who I am for this purpose. Esther, do you not think that you were made for the day like this? Amen. Are you not made for a generation Amen. like this? We're going to grow up. We're going to grow out. We're going to overcome. We're going to have to get past these things because if you're going to get on the path that God's created for you, you got to get... You got to realize this one path you had no choice in. This path of birth you had no choice in it. He prepared it for you. He picked it for you. He picked it for you. And no other womb could have you. No other womb could have you. And he placed you in your mother's womb. And he picked your family. And you know what? You, you're, you're God's fingerprint in this world. You are God's fingerprint fearfully and wonderfully made. And you know what? He has a place and a plan and a purpose for your life. Now, I'm not just uh, trying to make you encourage you to feel better because you know what? Christ's genealogy produced a Savior. Christ's genealogy produced a Savior. What is yours producing? What is yours producing? I can promise you He's not, he did not intend you to produce a failure. He did not intend for it to produce a sinner. He did not produce, he did not intend uh, for it to produce sorrow, hurt, hate, murder, pain, suffering. He intended on you to have a plan and a purpose in your life to give you an expected end. That's the purpose that he had. You're hung up on it. He's hung up. He's hung up. On you. He's hung up on you. And you're hung up on the road. His stuff. Don't rent it. Don't tear it. That's his mind. And he's hung up on you. Forgive him. We'll get to that later. Christ's genealogy is produced to Savior. What is yours producing? Fearfully, wonderfully made Christians. That's what he wants to produce. And you may say, well, now this is a point. If you, we, I want you to hear this one. And I'll, I'll, it's going to be a little different day, but I'll highlight the ones I really need you to hear. And you may say, well, he, he didn't make me perfect. I've got this going on. I've got that. I do this. I do that. I don't do this. But he says, I will perfect that which concerns you. 
I am willing to perfect. Even Paul said, I do this when I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. I do this. Who will save me from doing what I don't want to do all the time or what I shouldn't do all the time? I thank God through Christ Jesus who saves me from all of this. He's the one. He's the one. And you say, well, I'm not perfect. And you know what? He says, I will perfect that which concerns you. Let God help you with it. Let God help you with it today. Let, let God inside of you. That's the problem. You're walking beside him and he wants to walk inside you. He wants to get that, that which is in you. God does. Look at Mary. God works from the inside. That very thing in you is holy. Amen. That thing in you. I'm not calling him a thing. I'm saying that that's in you should be holy, not hurting. It should be a saving, not, not suffering. That very thing in you. Let God do a work in you today. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force you to do anything. He don't make you do anything, but you got to let him. You know, I can prove it to you. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. He didn't say, he didn't say, my mind will be in you. It would have been so much easier had he said, will you let? Will you let this mind be in you? Uh, when you grow up, will you set aside childish things? That's what he says. He said, he didn't say he'd take them away from you. He said, I need you to set them aside. And we set them aside and we know exactly where we put them. We let the mind come in, but we also let the mind go out. Guilty. Guilty. Let God see that which is hidden in you. Let God see that brokenness in you. Let him fix it. Not the one piece. All of it. All of it. Because what God joins together, nothing else can pull that apart. <clears throat> nothing will ever be that apart. Well, you don't know what I've been through and, and what I've done and they've done and what I'm going through. Listen, do not allow, this is one more point, do not allow the character, the sin, or the hurt of others to define you or determine who you are. They did not make you, God did. If they didn't help get you here, they can't take you away from here. If they didn't help get you here, they can't take you. They had no dealings with where you're at. So maybe you say, I can't get past it. I can't get over it. Then you know what? I'm gonna, and this, this hits home. I just can't get over what they've done or said. And I can't get past it. You know what happens if you don't? Your children and grandchildren can't either. Yeah. Your children. I mean, there's more. This ain't about you. When he looks at generations, he's not looking at verse 1. He's looking at 18 of them. And he's looking down through there. And God forbid that my children go through something uh, and their his hat fills in the coy. By the time they that thing had, by the time they built a restaurant in Tennessee, they had no idea what they were fighting over. <laughs> had no idea. They just knew we hated a hat field and a hat field hated McCoy, and that's that. It's all done with. And you can pick your side when you come in and eat. If they can't get over the bitterness, if they can't get over it, how can your family? And if it's caused this so much turmoil and unrest in your life, unless you break the cycle, it'll cause it in there. If you don't break the cycle of the unrest, of the bitterness and the angerness, and angerness good enough, in your life, it will cause it in their life. So if we give bitterness, anger, resentment, and, and abuse and addictive to our children, what are we taking away from them? If we give these things to our children, what are we taking from them? If God, if no other wound could produce you, he knows the path for you. 
He knows the plan for you. And you give them abuse, anger, bitterness, and resentment. What are you taking from them? Evangelists? Preachers? Deacons? Worship directors? Sunday school teachers? Piano players? You know what? You don't want to worship with an angry worship leader or listen to a bitter pastor. We've got to break this cycle. We can't pass this. If you're going to pass anything on to your children, train them up in the way they should go. Train them up in the way they should go. That's the wound. That's the most vital part. You've got to know who you are and who he is so that you can be who you are and be who he is and who he is. Because there's a day that's coming, parents and grandparents, when we won't get the opportunity to whoop you if you don't behave back there. Quit talking. There'll come a day when the Lord will look at them and say, I will whoop you. I'll whoop you. Yes. I'll whoop you. He said, David, you won't be, you won't be whooped by me or the enemies or by sickness. And David said, give me, I, I, I'll take my chances with you, Lord. Whoop you, Lord, you whoop me. But you know what? I'd rather whoop him now than him have to get the whoopings I got when I was 28 years old by my Heavenly Father. Him some painful whoopings. My whoopings don't hurt him near as bad as his whoopings will. Because his whippings are breaking the cycle. And that's where we come to in this wilderness moment. See, there's some paths that we take that are crucial uh, to our Christianity. And one is the womb. I've got to get past what was so that I can get to where what is. Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and no good thing will he withhold from me. And his plans and purposes of my life are perfect and good, and yes, and amen, and I'm the head, and I'm the tail, above, and not believe. I'm blessed going in, blessed going out, blessed in the city, blessed in the field. He's given me vineyards, he's given me houses, he's given me wives, he's given me children. He's given me Christ, the king of the world, salvation, and there's no greater gift than the gift of grace and the gift of Jesus Christ in my life. Now I'm, I'm prepared for the wilderness because I know who I am. I don't know why he's created me. And there's a lot of people that don't. But praise God, I do. And praise God from the look of your faces, you do too. You know who he is. And you walk into this wilderness moment with the same mindset as Jesus did because they looked at Jesus and said, Behold, it's the Son of God. They dumped him. They come back up and a voice from heaven said, Behold, he is the Son of God. And just like he did you, just like he did me, just like he did him, he validated and we can walk with boldness courage and authority into this wilderness place. Amen. And now you can blame it on the devil all you want to. He's there, but the Spirit leads you here. Amen. The devil's there, but the Spirit's there. And he was led, Matthew 4, and led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. What kind of Christian are you going to be? What kind of Christian are you going to be? What kind of Christian are you going to be? He wasn't tempted by women. He wasn't tempted by gambling. He wasn't tempted by drugs and alcohol. The Bible says he was tempted. They wouldn't even know they're there. He was tempted in a wilderness with nothing around but him and the enemy. Him and the enemy. And because uh, the enemy don't care what you do outside of He wants to know who you are. He wants to know what you're willing to do to get it your way. He wants to know what you're willing to go through to get it your way. Who are you willing to push Push aside. Who are you going to push down when the fire starts? You push them out of the way. All of you can burn. I don't know. i got to get out of here. Who are you willing to climb over 
crawl over, step over, and walk past to get what you want. That's the wilderness. That's the wilderness. And you know what? If you're willing to do, I know we say don't let anybody hold you back. Don't let anybody hold you back from what God's got for you. But don't you crawl over and kick down beat. And like we said last week, give them the comfortable chair if you're okay. Give them the comfortable chair. He wants to know why, what you will do in, in the life wilderness. This is a detour. This is a detour, an unexpected place. This is when you're vulnerable. And we talked about this Wednesday night. The enemy is a monster because at your most vulnerable time, he, he attacks. There's a story in the Old Testament where they're traveling and the weak and the lame and the feeble were falling a little bit behind and I think it was the Midianites, they would come down and pick them off one after another after another because they were falling behind. God forbid that happened. To, we allow that to happen. But the enemy is a monster. He, he picks on you. He seizes that vulnerable moment. Have any of us has ever been there? Have any of us has ever had this 40-day temptation-like thing here? The 40 days show some things. It shows some thoughts. He heard some things during this 40 days. He thought some things during this 40 days. But most importantly, this is the, really the key of the whole thing is for one. Then he was led to chapter Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. In the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. He was hungry. He was hungry. He wasn't desiring a kingdom. He wasn't wanting to jump off a cliff and see if the Lord would catch him. He was hungry. There was something in him that wanted to be filled. Something, a desire, wanting to be filled. Have you ever been hungry for a word? Have you ever just been hungry for a need? Have you ever wanted something to fix what was missing in your life? It's a character test. It's a personality test. It's what you hear. You know, in verse 1, we hear, this is what we hear, and his lineage goes this way, and Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat this, and begat that. But in chapter 1, it also says, Mary heard he is going to be full of the Holy Spirit and precious and priceless and Emmanuel and God with us. It's the same thing here. What do you hear when you're hungry? What do you hear when you're hungry? You know what? This is where you grow. This is where you develop. This is where you fight. Or this is where you fall. It's, 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 he's pretty black and white because you know what? He wants his best for you. And his best is not you taking it over and over. Again, that's his grace. That's his grace. We're not here to win the battle. We're here to win the war. We're here to win the war. And so this is the place where you fight or you fail. It's where compromises are born. Well, I am hungry. It is 36 days. I, 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 maybe he, it's for, but it's also, it's where compromises are born. But you know what? It's also where lines are drawn. It's where lines are drawn. The wilderness place will teach you some restraint. It'll teach you some character. It'll teach you some discipline in your life. It'll teach you that when you're hungry and the enemy says to eat, you better watch out. He would have broke your tooth on a rock. It's when uh, you're tired and the enemy says sleep. <coughs> it's when you've got a plan and the enemy says do it my way. These are some, these are some wilderness moments for that what you hear and what he says are two different things. Because you're hungry. Because you're hungry. And the enemy says, and you say, 
And the Lord says, what are you willing to do to get what you want? Who are you willing to hurt to make sure it happens? How far are you willing to go? Who would you climb over, go around, cast down, and get over to get in that position? And it's here where the enemy sends. You know what he sends? He sends power. Or he sends position. Take your position over power. You know what? Power, power will help you along the journey. Position will keep you for a little while. Position will keep you for a little while. This is what the enemy God does. You know that he does. He brings better into your life so that you never experience best. He brings good into your life so that great never happens. He, he is a place where you begin to settle. 40 days, hungry, I'm settling. You begin to settle. And God never intends on you to settle for anything. You know what it says? That this was just a season. For the enemy came in for just a season. And the enemy, you know what else? What happens when you settle? The enemy sends a man in your life instead of a husband. That's what he does. He sends a job instead of a career. He sends a house instead of a home. He sends an arrangement and instead of a marriage. And because you're hungry, you're not careful what you're willing to do to get it. If you're not careful, you'll settle and eat a rock and not wait on the bread. And not wait on the bread. There's an instance in the Old Testament where Samuel goes out and he says, Jesse, ain't you got some kids? I'm here to anoint one a king. Boy, boy you do got some fine looking men here. Hey, look, I like got abs, like got a six pack on him. He'll, that, that Lord said, that ain't him. He looks good too. Now we, uh, he'll do, he'll do. That ain't him. I don't think he'll keep going. Now he'll do. Lord said, no. And he goes through one, two, three, four, five, six. Jesse, do you have any more? Well, I got one out in the field, but you don't want him. I got, well, I need to see him. I need to see him because these ain't it. I need to see him. He said, go get your brother and tell him to come on. Uh, you know him. He's out there just singing and praising and worshiping and doing all this mess. Well, go get him. Because you know what he says? And he comes in and he says he's, he, he's good to look at, but he was a little bit ruddy and a little bit skinny. Because he sits out in the pasture, plays his, praises his, plays his music, plays his heart, singing praises, and he's skinny and he's ruddy. That tells me he's hungry. That tells me he's hungry. Anoint the hungry one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. Bless the one that's hungry for the things of God. Bless the one that's hungry for the ways of God. Bless the one who's hungry and didn't give in. Who's hungry and didn't give in. He says, I want the hungry. I want the hungriest looking one. I want the hungriest looking one. I want the hunger. Hunger will drive you. Hunger for the word of God. Hunger in the womb to be nursed. To maturity. Hunger in the wilderness. So you say, I hear a word, but it's not the word. Amen. I hear a word. Did God not say, I hear a word, but it's not the word. And I, I, I will never trade the kingdom for the king. I will never trade the kingdom for the king. Well, jump off the cliff. I will never tempt the Lord my God. I will never tempt him. I would never tempt him. That's what the wilderness does. 
That's what they're doing. I will not tempt him. I only step out by faith. And I know that I've got something to land on. I know that I know that I know. I know that I know. My desire is for the king and not the kingdom. And he says, get away from me, Satan. And he left. We get that in the wilderness. This was the greatest 40 days of his life. The greatest 40. There's no other wilderness. We talked about no other wilderness could produce it. No other wilderness could produce this in you. There's no other place. It develops the Christian character. It's not what would you do to get what you want. That's not what it's producing. You know what it's producing? It develops a character that says, there's some lines that I will never cross. There's some lines that I will never cross. Cross. That's the true Christian character. Not that I'm willing to do whatever I got to do because a lot of times whatever you got to do is at the expense of others. But you need to go bow down and say, Lord, I know that this is what I want. You know what I need. You know what I stand in need. You've heard my prayer since day one. And but there are some lines that I refuse to cross. I will not cross the lines. I will not seek the kingdom over the king position over power and I've heard a word but it's not the word and in the final place and we'll hurriedly go through this and it's found in Matthew 26 and it's in the garden in the garden and this is where our final week of Jesus will start we'll pick up here in the garden and then next week we'll continue from there but you've got to get these first points in your mind that he's created you in the womb to mature you into a man he's created you in the wilderness to produce, to produce in you a Messiah or a Savior. And he produced and in the garden. This is the way. This is the way of the path. Jesus does so much in life. But all of a sudden he is focused. And it's on the, this path that he enters into the garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to talk about three uh, points real quick. And we'll go. Uh, it's only a few days left to the cross. And he comes in with his 11. Well, he's got 12. But Judas has went. And what you do, Judas, they've just had Passover. Just had the cup or the supper, Judas, what you do, go and do quickly, and the eleven follow him to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know what he does? He brings in six of those, and he leaves them out here. And he brings six this far, and he says, you stay and sit. Stay and sit. And he says, you three, come with me a little farther. And he says, sit and watch. And the Bible says that he felt exceedingly grievous in his spirit, and he fell down, and he began to pray. And he leaves six there and he brings three with him. Uh, we can find this in uh, chapter 36, uh, Matthew uh, 26. Uh, then come to Jesus with them to come to the garden called Gethsemane and said unto the disciples, Sit you here while I go pray. Sit here, six of you. And he took Peter, James, and John, or the sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And he says, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Tarry you here and watch with me. Sit here and watch me. And he went a little farther and he fell on his face and he prayed and said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup from me, uh, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, as I will, but thou wilt be done. And he fell on his face and begged the Lord, please take this cup away. Please take this cup. And this right here is where in the garden and is, the, is where every decision, life-changing decision that you'll ever make takes place. This is where every ministry opportunity decision makes place. Every gifting takes place. Every calling takes place. Salvation and sanctification and your destiny are all decided in the garden. You may say they were decided in the wilderness, but there comes a point when you've got to decide whether or not you're going to go through with it or not. Amen. 
There comes a point in your life when you got to decide whether you're going to get up and do this thing or not. There's some you, you've made the decision. I know who I am, and I know that He made me. You've made the decision that look. There's some lines that I cannot cross because He's told me not to. But there's also a place of decision where you've got to come to grips with your own self. This is where the will of man and the will of God are fight with each other. They're at odds with each other, and you got to. And He says, "Let this cup pass." Let this cup pass. It's a battle of control. It's a battle of the soul. It's a battle of the will. Now, God and Jesus would no uh, way turn his back on humanity, but we would. But we would. And there's no devils here. There's no demons here. No temptations here. It's just a part. It's you and God. It's you and God. It's God asking you and you going, ay, 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 it's God telling and you, you resisting. It's God calling and you crying. Is there any other way? If there is, let this. It's the difference between what you think and what he knows. That's the difference. The garden spot takes what you think about you and what he wants for you and what he knows about you and wants for you and he wants you to get on board with him. He wants you to get on board with him. Because you can't get it in your head. And if you don't never get it in your head, you'll never get your calling in your hands. You'll never get a hold of it. Because you can't get it. And you're hollering, let it pass. Let it pass. And you know what happens? The Bible says that he got up and he went back. And this is what happened. Lord, let it pass. Let it pass. So you get up and you say, well, I got some buddies out here on the front row right here. That's always, they've been my ride or die. They've been with me through thick and thin. They've been with me on the mountain. They've been with me in the valley. We've prayed together. I've asked them. Uh, we're prayer partners. And I'm going to go back and I know they got my back. And I'm going to ask them what I need to do because the Lord don't seem to be changing his mind. I seem to be changing my mind. So I'm going to go back to the people that I trust the most. Not the six, but the three. And when I get back there, I found out they was asleep a long time ago. They've been asleep. They've been asleep. So you know what I do? I wake them up because I want you to feel what I feel. I want you to hurt like I hurt. I want you to wonder uh, like I wonder. I want you to suffer like I suffer. So I'm coming back to my 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 core, my group, my peeps, my people, and we're gonna do this thing together. And I get there and are asleep. Wake up! I need your help. Wake up! And he goes back to the garden. Pray with me. And he goes back. And well, I don't know what you're going through in your life today. I don't know what the Lord's using in your life today to get you into a place of decision. But you usually go something like this: divorce, Lord, let this cup pass. Sickness, Lord, let this cup pass. Loss, Lord, let this cup pass. My kids is a man. Lord, let this cup pass. I need a career, Lord. I'm just tired of this dead end. Y'all, let this cup pass. Salvation, Lord. That's the most terrible one that we can try to get out of when he says there's no other way. Over and over again. Salvation, Lord, is there any other way? Because we want the salvation, but we don't want the sacrifice. We want the gift, we just don't want to put in the time. We, we want the, the marriage, but we don't want to give and yield. We don't want to love our wives like wives like Christ loved the church. And wives, we don't want to submit to our husbands. Kids, we don't want to submit to our parents. 
Employers, we don't want to uh, uh, submit to our employees. And employees, we don't want to submit to our is there any other way? And I run back to that same group of three and I find out that they're asleep again. What do you do? Father, what do you do? Is there any hope? Father, what do you do? What do you do when they don't care? What do you, I wouldn't say that. What do you do when it's your family? What do I do when it's my marriage? My family, my kids, my kids. What do I do when it's my spouse, my salvation? This is between you and God. He says, they can't help you. Those six in the back, I'll just give you this when Chris and them will come. Those six in the back, they are the public people you need in your life to encourage you. They've been there a long time with you, and they encourage you. They're proud of you. They're glad. They're with you. They're there they're always. Every time you turn around, there they are. They're encouraging you. Those three that come a little bit farther, they know the real you. They know the real you. They've, they've, they've leaned in your bosom. They've seen you on the mount. They've seen you in the tears. They can hear you praying. What others see is him saying, Lord, if this cup would pass. John hears it this way. Lord, I'm praying for these who are with me now and I know that they won't stumble. And Lord, I pray for whose lives they touch, the lives they touch, the lives they touch, and the lives they touch. And I pray for those who are coming because of these who will come that ain't even seen yet. That's the prayer that those three heard. Not the ones that let this cup pass for me. See, there's some different ways that we view this thing. There's some different ways that we see this thing. And this place right here in the garden, it is between you and God. And you and God only. Surrender to the will. Surrender to, as we stand. The Bible said any sweat drops of blood. Go ahead. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of about three or four days later you find yourself in the same mess that you was in before you felt good for three days you felt good for a month you felt good for a week but then you find yourself slipping into those old ways and those old paths and I'm going to tell you something uh, if you got up or if you walk out these doors this week and you realize that there's something missing and that you have fell back into those old places and you could but you want to get rid of those places come back next week because you got to do just like Jesus did. you got to get up out of the garden, make a decision that you're going to follow him to the end and we're going to go to the cross. Yes. 
That's where we're headed next week. And at the cross is where we leave all this stuff behind. We made a decision in the garden, but when we get to the cross, it's gone. It's over with. It's done. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. And we're going to talk about that power, that passion in the cross uh, next week that we can leave it. So if you walk out of here today convicted, you're on the path to the cross. You're headed in the right direction. It's as simple as saying, Lord, come into my heart. Lord, take this away. But we're going to get a full understanding of what the cross did for you and I next week. And I pray uh, that you come back and find out what that is.